September 6, 2021. It's the Watt for Pedro Show.
Dr. Okay. Pedro Show. Happy Monday. Happy Labor Day. No parade. Such Watts got a sore back, but I was still with a fucking hub. Three little <laughs> words. John Coltrane with Milt Jackson. They used to call him Bags, right? Bags and Train. Yeah. That's a record. Yeah, right. Upsilon Acrux after that. Or Nah Cult Man. And you could tell people probably that I ain't man alone because of those Estonian software engineers with their Skype invention. I got the Paul I. Welcome aboard, Paul. Oh, uh, th- thanks for having me, Mike. And uh, Taipei? Yeah, I'm in Taipei right now. Which is big town in Taiwan. One day I want to yeah, play it's... there. I really, really want to play there. I have had buddies who played there and dug it. And uh, one day I would like yeah. to, too. And we got to thank Steve over at Curaniform for the connect. Thank you, Steve. D- yes. I think in the All DC, thanks to Steve. D.C. D- area, right? Yeah. And, uh, okay, tripping on your music journey. I know you spent some time in, uh, you know where Pedro is, right? Where the harbor is. You yes. Live in here. Yes. I want to go before that, right? I want uh, you to bring us the early, earliest musical memory you can. Um, earliest musical memory. Um, geez, uh, I I came from Taiwan um, to America in 1980. So I think the first band that I ever that I realized was a band because there weren't really any bands in Taiwan at the time. I mean, there were, but I was unaware. I was eight years old. So I think I saw Kiss trading cards and. Uh, I was like, oh, this this is what a band looks like. And I, I, I was pretty freaked out, I have to say. I was like eight years old, you know, coming from Taiwan. I hadn't even really been around white people until I came here. So, and then there were these guys, you know, dressed like monsters, you know. Yeah. But what about, there's no music memories of Taiwan when you're a boy, baby, baby? Uh, no, there's like, you know, like traditional songs that I'm used to hearing, like New Year's and um, during the holidays, you know. But I, I really, even though like uh, my parents had, my parents did force me to play uh, piano and violin for like uh, a year each before I came here. Ah, so, so once you, I came here, yeah, I dropped it. Uh, there was instruments in the pad, or was this from school? No, this is they like they got me lessons. They just, I think, uh, you know, my parents always did whatever the best they could do for me, even if I was uh, not not a good kid. But I think those things eventually did, you know, they, they did work out. I mean, again, it, it, it got my mind moving in the right direction. But I think the first thing that i bought on my own is i bought the thriller tape the michael jackson, jackson thriller tape right quincy jones yeah. uh well i'm curious what, what about school over there did they have a music program were you in the choir the marching band or shit like that no they, they didn't have any of that shit i mean right. like it, where i was from we're in Taizong, which is kind of the middle of taiwan i don't even they didn't even i mean like kind for activities country. there wasn't even like basketball or soccer or anything it, it was Late 70s, you know, so. Yeah, I don't know because I ain't been there yet, but <laughs> I'll trust <Yeah>. you. <laughs> what about when you come here because you're eight and stuff? What about the school school stuff over here? Um, I didn't I didn't get into music. I was, you know, I was just trying to, like, learn the language. And, um, and I did that just, like, through uh, Bugs Bunny cartoons and, you know, whatever. I just, that's all I remember, like, third grade was just trying to, learn the language like so i didn't have an accent and um it was it was tough but uh you know america was uh was different was really different you know what about oh you well, i can imagine but i mean yeah you get, end up on guitar there must have been besides maybe the kiss trading cards and the monster look how, how did you get your hands on the guitar what made you want to jump on that 
since you kind okay, of had well, two bad experiences with the violin and the uh, <laughs> piano, right? It might have been the teachers, though, huh? Maybe more than the instruments. Or maybe just you, um, where you were as a kid. Yeah, I, th I think at that age, you know, I, I maybe, you know, I mean, I'm sure Mozart was writing orchestras at that age, but I wasn't like, I just <laughs> wanted to play, you know. I just wanted to, like, play outside. But so I got eventually, like, I think it was when I was 14, uh, I had I finally had like a, a real favorite band, and that was The Cure, you know, with Robert Smith. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. I was yeah. Ups I got to meet that guy and, once for a few minutes. He's really good at ping pong. Really? He had a few words, but he was very kind. Yeah, Jay opened up for him at the Rose Bowl, and it was a trippy thing. I even got to play a song, not with him, but with Jay. But oh, I think I was football. at that show actually. So, but somebody else that was just on the show was at that show too. They were like boys. Well, what was the first gig you saw, Paul? The first show I that I paid money to see was actually I think it was Echo and the Bunnymen on the Killing Moon tour or the Ocean Rain tour. It was like an '85 or maybe, and then I saw The Cure, and I, by then I was like, I, I don't think I've ever you know how when you're 15 like you never love a band more than you're at that age you know, so when I saw The Cure I was like. I was just like frozen, you know, to be in the room with Robert Smith at that time was like, you know, he was my everything, you know. And uh, uh, I always say it was lips. a great thing. He had bright, what, bright yeah. lips. <laughs> big yeah. hair, too. And his pants were tucked and, and his and shoes. I but I tell you, the dude could play some ping pong, and he was kind. He was nice. He wasn't, <laughs> he wasn't a dick That's, that, that's amazing. I, I've heard only good things about You know, about Jay's, him, but, uh, Jay's a man of few words, too. You know, some cats are just like that. But when it's time to do music, they're fucking, yeah. you know. Yeah, he don't yeah. talk like that crying stuff. And, you know, and Jay, very quiet voice, but his lead guitar is like. So so what was the first guitar you got? Um, I thought I was buying a guitar like Robert Smith. I, I bought, like, basically what I ended up getting was just a black um, with the with the black pickguard American Standard Stratocaster, I thought it looked like what he had, which was a Jazzmaster. But I, I was, I think, I was seventeen, and I, I didn't realize it. And uh, that was my first guitar, American Standard you Black must, Stratocaster. Did you get an amp? Um, I don't know what the amp I got was. It was probably just some shitty like uh, practice amp or something. Oh, idea was I bought that, and I think I bought a flanger pedal. So you bought it with your own <laughs> money, right? That's no, no. Uh, Instead of getting a car when I was seventeen, yeah, uh, I asked my, I asked my parents to give me a guitar and amp. Oh, that's bitching. Yeah, but, but, I think I think they regret that actually. But well, in Pedro, you'd have to have both, I guess. But <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, the recycler—you probably remember that pink paper came out on Thursdays. Oh God, everything oh, I yeah. owned came out of that motherfucker. I know. <laughs> the ads were free, people. Even even ads were getting bands and shit. I I answered one. D Boo wouldn't make a punk band at first. I only did one jam with it. Was three hours of "I Want to Be Your Dog." It wasn't even the other part. It's just the first. So look, you gave me a lot of this uh, Upsilon Acrex, and uh, I want to play uh, Waka. Okay.
Watch for Pedro Show. Start out of that chunk of music with Epsilon Acrux. It's a name, man. Awaka, uh, which is a lot of cats that live in this area come from there. Uh, Bombas Prendon, they got brand new uh, release. I think they did this by uh, jamming together over the internet somehow, giving them enough space so they didn't have to deal with latency. Uh, the very first track, so I guess this was the first attempt, but it's a whole fucking collect. Pretty happy. Uh, Victoria Shan and Aaron Dillaway with the hair gag excerpt. They took, uh, Victoria Shan took two of their. Uh, her record and Aaron Delaware, like half of each, and, and cemented them together and, and then played it, you know. And then that, that makes the new record. That's what I, you guys heard. Okay, then P. Kane featuring Amel. <laughs> it's not the Amel, but I think <laughs> Punk Day, Rad Disco thing. Uh, I think Paul Lynn, they found a bottle of that. Tunnel. Brand new record. He's got a bitchered album, people. Part one of eight from Bill Nace. A uh, piece called Both. He's just floated to me. Uh, guess he's getting nervous here. Gotta hurry, people. Ran Cup Dewey Collective from Vietnam with Ari, Yeri, 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 Rama, 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 Rama. That's a title. Modo Manata Balmar with Cinemarina, Dearest Samuel Locke Ward. From Iowa City with Ah, uh, weeding out the Mambrium Wax Mulch, James Twig Harper and Rubber O. Cement, and finally, Epsilon A Crux, twice the tweak. I want to know what that's about. Okay, yeah. Paul, so was there stipulation like with the fucking violin and piano, like if we get you this guitar instead of a, well, you probably had driving lessons from school or shit, but like, you're going to have to take guitar lessons. Um, no, cause my, I had a friend, uh, this is, I, I had moved to orange County from San Diego County, um, which was uh, horrible. But, um, I had a friend who, whose name was Mike DeFabio and he played bass and he was like, no, I'll, I'll teach you. And I have a teacher. And I think I ended up going to one lesson, I didn't take it like real seriously. I thought it was going to be kind of easy and it was really hard initially. So even though my goal was just to play like Robert Smith. So okay. after a few years, I did eventually get there, did, but it only took like a couple of years. But then I just stagnated. How'd you do it? it like just... by listening to Cure Records? I mean, that's how me and Dee Boone, well, there was this guy who showed his shit. He lived in his car, Roy Mendes Lopez, great guitar, built his own guitars and stuff. But this bass player, he helped you a little bit? Yeah, yeah, he would. Also? He like, yeah, he he knew how to play bass. Like he could play like Cure songs, and he would show me like you know like the lead part to like just like Heaven, and some, and some I, it would that, take me like a month or something to learn. The, the, the bass guy is the first guy they got rid of, right? Or he quit. I think the, the recent guy just quit after twenty, thirty years or something. But, but yeah, I'm the, I'm really strong, bummed about that actually. But the bass was really strong. The record I got by them is. The cymbals sound like a garage, uh, the trash can lids, man. But it's a great song, and the bass is strong. Yeah, yeah. yeah so, bass is essential in the cure. But, so, uh, so yeah, I mean, my, did you guys, the, the, my what first... What I wanted to ask you about, did you guys make a If he's going to teach you, did you make a band, find a drummy and make a band? Uh, we kind of tried to, just amongst friends. You know, it took a couple of years, but then eventually, actually, I, I realized early that it, it, I just wasn't going to get good until 
people expected me to do better. So I actually eventually joined a band in uh, Torrance. Ah, and it was a yeah, it was a very like cure like band, but it, this is a weird thing yeah. because I know last week you had my friend Mark Cisneros on he your was show talking about being in a cure band. Yes, th- we were in a cure band together. Oh, it's okay. <laughs> yeah, he was like my first like rhythm That's guitar That's a guy player, I couldn't remember, then, you know, but I knew somebody yeah. was talking about the cure not too long ago. It said they were at that fucking Rose Bowl King. It was Mark Cisneros. Great guy. Yeah, we Great were both cat. at that show. Okay, okay, We were both at that I show. I believe you, Paul. So, but you yeah. and Mark, but did you know Mark before this? Now, he's in the Empire, right? He's witty or some shit. But he told uh, me he drove all the way out to Tarnes to be in this band, yeah. Yep, that, that's the band. He, he was, uh, I met him through the band, and uh, he was going to high school with, uh, I think, the bass player's girlfriend. And he was actually, I would have to say, he was the first person that I met that was truly good at music. Like, he taught me so much about obsession and details and figuring out what the best part of a song is or the best part of a movie or, you know, all these things. Like he was a he, he was a you know, he really helped me like uh, sharpen my I don't know, my eye or my ear. You know, or everything. He, he, he has incredible focus right later in life. Yeah. Right. He gets it. Go sends himself back to school for music, learns how to play everything. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. He's, a, he's you know, inspiring, he's a, inspiring cat, Paul. So, so, he, how long did you? Because this ain't you guys' band. You guys are helping out these other cats, these cure people. So, uh, how long does this last for you? <laughs> no, it's, I'm not being uh, negative. I didn't mean. Look, I wear no, no, no. I wear no, Creole flannels because of Creedence because I couldn't hear that bass, and I thought if I wore the singer's shirts, D Boone would still like me. I mean, you know, it's trippy about shit, when, especially when you're a little younger <laughs> or more younger. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. We were just kind of living out these, uh, these, uh, these dreams of being musicians. So we were in that band for a little bit and then we left on our own. Yeah. And, uh, me, him and Mike Flowers ended up starting a band and that was a band for like two or three years. And I think we played maybe two shows. What were you called? And then we were called December and we were kind of like a cure new order band. So we, we, Add a new order to the cure thing. Yeah, but it's we still had, like, England. It's thing. okay. It's still England. Yeah. Yeah. I'll tell you the funniest thing that happened during that time. You know, the English we guys, wanted... you know, they used to sing with U.S. accents. You know, it's all about showbiz, right? <laughs> yeah. It's okay. Everybody wants to be who they're not. Well, that's why and, I love uh, we... Hall- My favorite ha- holiday is Halloween because it's the one day we pretend we're wearing fucking costumes. Or we don't yeah, pretend. And it's okay. We don't yeah. pretend. Yeah. yeah. It, and it's okay. You can be it's whatever totally you want to okay. be. That's why yeah. I do gigs wearing that shit. Even though I can't even breathe, I wear pumpkins on my head and shit. <laughs> you know, sacrifice to some kind of ethics, some kind of fucking values. <laughs> so so anyway, the sunburn only does two gigs, but a lot of practice. Yeah, a lot of practice and like living, you know, like uh, they would come to my house on the weekends and we'd be there like for four days just watching movies and practicing. But we just didn't, you know, like, I think Mark was the, he was really pushing us to get better. And I just wasn't, I was like, by that time I was like 20 or something. And I was just trying to figure out like my shit. It wasn't until like maybe like five years after that, that I got serious about guitar. Um, I got into like Sonic Youth and what, Ornette what, what Coleman. What do you think did it? But gee, what do you think did it? Why did it take five years from then? Even though you're around this cat, Mark Cisneros, who's fucking music personified. Yeah, I don't know. I just, yeah, uh, no, you know what I think? 
it's still individual. You got to hear it inside when it's you know when it resonates. Even though it doesn't hurt to have bitching people around, you still got to yeah. find it inside you. Yeah, so, I, so I, I really needed to find you, Paul. I, I heard these these uh, things simultaneously. I got like I don't know. I read some article and then I, I simultaneously got into all this stuff and I realized that I wanted to get a lot better, which was like King Crimson, Sonic Youth, Ornette Coleman. I think. Those I got into those three at like the same month, and that then I was just like, I want to get I want to get good at guitar. I want to I want to be able to do this shit, you know. So, actually, right then I checked into a rehearsal space with Mark and some of his friends, and I was there. I finally put myself all into the music. I was there like six days a week, twelve hours a day. Whoa! I would jam with people that I didn't know. We we. We ran through songs that I didn't know. I just learned and, you know, got my ass kicked, looked real bad, looked a fool. But after a year, I was uh, reasonably good. And I had ambitions of, like, starting uh, something like, you know, like a, a proggy type band. But but so, like a Paul I band, not join somebody else's band. All right, right. So when I came, then I came back. And uh, then I, that's actually when I started Upslon and Crux when I was like 26 or 27 or whatever. And then, right. uh, and who's the first and, guys know, in the band? Uh, it was my friend, uh, Cameron Presley, who I knew from, we we both went to a Christian school. I'm not Christian, but we went to a Christian school and he was the only other guy there that liked the cure and like my bloody <laughs> Valentine. So, yeah. Well, you know, the, the bass lady, uh, Deb was on. From my bloody Valentine? Yeah. Oh yeah, she yeah, she's super nice. Too. And and who else was in the band? Uh, well, I met Cameron. We started Upsilon Across with the, uh, that idea, and then we got Jesse, the drummer, and then eventually we got a bass player who we kicked out like a year later. But but it was the three of us basically: me, Cameron, and Jesse. And he who shall not be named. <laughs> well, yeah, his name was his name his name was Tom. He was actually okay, a good Tom. bass player, but yeah. You know, we're yeah, like things don't work out, of course. Yeah, Tom band is Crimson. such a trippy chemistry, right? So, so it, what what did you do first? Did you guys try playing other people's tunes, or did you have material for these guys? Um, no, no, I just you know we we, we would jam and uh, I would I would play them records, you know, and I'd be like, I want to sound like this. It would always be like King Crimson, and then eventually Henry Cow, and then Magma, but it was also like Faust and Noi. And, uh, you know, we listen to Sun Ra and, and Coltrane and Ornette. You know, I was trying to, like, combine the energy of those, like, three things that I thought were, like, the raddest shit in the world yeah. and try to make a band out of that stuff. So I think initially we had we would have, like, oh, this is the free jazz song or this is the kraut rock song or this is, like... Well, did you have the ska you know, the song and the reggae song? No, no, no. We just had those... It was just those three things, basically, <laughs> okay. like Prague, uh, free jazz, and crowd rock. That, that's where we were working from. One time, this basically. cat came. I was over at Perk's Pad, and this cat came. He had done an entire ska version of Toot Tommy, the Who's. <laughs> <laughs> he had to listen. We got we got to listen to that thing. I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> you know, it's you know it's it's trippy when stylists. Stylism is so big, right? It, it's like, yeah, it's kind of a, I don't know, it's like a Halloween mask. It's like, what? Who's got the pumpkin head on? You know, is it what? 
You know, is it his sister? <laughs> I mean, it is trippy, but but it, it is neat how you guys, while you were putting together the band, you went and listened to records to see what you guys wanted to make. I think that's interesting. Look, we're at the end of the first hour, the September 6, 2021 edition of the Peters from special guest Paul Lai. Hold tight for hour two. September 6, 2021, second hour, Watt Pedro Show.
I've killed my world and I've killed my time. So where do I go and what do I see? I see many people coming after me. So where you going to? I don't mind. Well, if I stay too long, I'm afraid I'll die. So I will follow you wherever you lead. If you're offered hand, it's still open to me. Strangers on this road, we are on. We are not two, we are one.
for Pedro Show. We start off the second hour with so thereby and therefore, thus henceforth, mono, upsilon, acrux. Ben Salter out of Tasmania with Strangers, brand new from him. Luca Sabella from near, nearby Sydney with Maserati. And finally, Upsilon Acrux with Intimate Barbarian. So, can you remember the first Upsilon Acrux song you guys put together? Um, I think we did, I, I don't remember the name because we did a demo and a Three of the songs had like vocoder on it, so it wasn't quite like us yet. And then we did one instrumental song, and we called it the seven song because it was in seven. <laughs> and I think that to me that was like the first uh, Upsilon and Crux song because before then it was like a mix like like Stereo Lab with King Crimson, you know, but with also with still with some vocals. And then we, when we did the seventh song, it was like you're, you're I don't know, about it was your like, versions of those, or were you using no, their actual parts? No, no, there, there were songs. I mean, it, it just what it sounded like to me because we were still yeah, like, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So you're kind of so much influenced. Yeah, we were our, yeah, we were our influences. We hadn't really broken out to yeah, have yeah, a, yeah, a sound, you know. Right. But that was the first song that I thought, oh, this sounds like, this sounds like what we're gonna be, you know. It's like instrumental. It was weird. It had some noise in it, and then it had this big takeoff part. Well, well, how far down seven. the line? How far down the line was this demo? Did you do any gigs yet? No, we hadn't done any. We hadn't done any gigs. We just did this demo. We thought we wouldn't. Okay, this is. Well, I have a great story about our first show. So we were doing this demo uh, with our friends and stuff. And I used to see uh, Glenn Galloway uh, from Truman's Water at, at, at Lose Records in Encinitas. I used to see him in the parking lot. And I, I had seen Truman's Water play. And I thought, fuck, this band is fucking incredible. Like, I love this band. San Diego and I scene, saw him. right? What? San Diego scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Truman's Waters was the, they were the best band in San Diego by far. But I had, I had seen them and I saw them in the parking lot. Is that the Three and Mile I Pilot to, guys? Or what? So, somebody, Three Mile Pilot or? I mean, Three Mile Pilot was around too, but, no, but I, I when, really Some loved, of the guys, do they, the, some members exist in both bands or? I don't, I don't, I don't think Truman's Water uh, No, I'm asking you for help, Paul, because I don't, uh, I'm kind of ignorant of the scene, but I know they're all good musicians and shit. I just don't know how they put together, Drive drive Like Jehu and how they, how they put together. And uh, yeah, anyway, what happened? You you did, you did your first gig. You saw him in the parking lot. Yeah, I saw him in the parking lot, Lewis, and I walked up to him. I said, hey, man, I just saw you like Tuesday at the Casbah and you guys were incredible. I was wondering if you could help me get a show. I, I don't have anything to give you. I don't have a demo, but I can promise you this one thing. We will not suck, and it'll be different. <laughs> That's a good And he promise. goes, okay. And he gave me his number, and yeah. I called him later, and he set up a show like a week later. Yeah. And we played our first show at the Casbah with them. Wow, Tim Mays. Uh, yeah, Tim Mays. And, uh, no, he and we killed club. it. You don't know how far back I go with that cat. Yeah. Long way. Good guy. Yeah, we, yeah. we played a lot of first shows at Casbah. No, but before he had something called The Spirit. It's called Brick by Brick now, I think, or whatever. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah so, so, so was the gig a success? I mean, first, you got, what, what did uh, Paul, what did, uh, what did uh, the man who got you the gig think? Did you live up to the, the, the it, promise? Yeah, I mean, he loved it. It was, it was, uh, it was a great, it was amazing first show because i think our drummer was 20 so he couldn't even get into the casbah so he had to stand outside until <laughs> yeah, right. we could play right and then we killed it and then and then somebody came up afterwards it was uh john goss from physics and he was like 
I want to put you guys out. And uh, I'm like, oh, okay. Wow, wow shit. He's like, gig. I'm going to set up a studio. Yeah, and I was like, wow. oh, so this is what it's like to be like in a band. You know, like <laughs> it was like the realization that because before then, the two shows that we had played as December yeah. were like in the Valley and somewhere. And, you know, they were they were pay to play gigs. We had to sell like 100 tickets, you know, $8 or whatever, you know, sure. that our parents ended up paying for, <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah. So you know, I, that's what the whiskey turned into shit. Can you believe I know, that? It's the fucking, whiskey was the best I, pad I, you could play, and it turned into a pay-to-play uh, pad. Look, I want to play this uh, Smells Klein. Yeah.
Watch for Pedro Show. That chunk of music started off with uh, Upsilon A Crux with Smells Klein. And we're going to keep it a secret, people, but there's a little pun rock involved there. Then, then we had uh, <laughs> Paul White. He's a great uh, a man of deep meaning. Plaster Man after that from Mythical with Photograph. Like, uh, less Gris Gris. Time flies still. Ration tape code. Head boggle. Fred's traveling fast. Brand new out of Hokkaido. Carthy school. Whole world. And finally, Jesus made my fish tank boil. Upsilon Acrux. Okay, so you get the fucking invite to make this record. Yeah. Now, you'd already recorded the demo thing, but maybe a little more up. You said the guy's starting a studio? He put us in a studio um, in San Diego, and we just we just went there, like, every night for, like, a month, like, uh, basically, like, 11 p.m., and we would be there till like, you know, I don't know, 6 a.m. or something. And then we recorded our first record and parts of our second record. And by then, we had already figured out that, like, okay, we we're going to do this thing. And, you know, that ended up being our first record. I think it's called, like, it, you know, it's another pun, too. It's, like, in the crux of the Upsilon King. Oh. <laughs> yeah. And the King but, Crimson. Uh, no. Yeah. <laughs> the right. Crimson thing, yeah. Right. But, uh, yeah. And then, you know, on onwards from there, I guess. You know, you know some of that then, Crimson got recycled by Emerson, Lake and Palmer. Yeah, I mean, you know, he was a singer, and uh, you know, I I think a King Not Crimson just that, is the also band the that started. Words. Uh, what? P uh, Pete Sinfield wrote words for all, a lot of those bands. Yeah, yeah, he did. Right, right. So, okay, uh, do you guys start touring? No, no, we didn't get into we didn't get into touring till like later on because everybody had, except for me, had day jobs. So yeah. it was we just didn't figure it out. We, we're kind of slow in figuring out that you need to tour and be nice and make friends and make peers <laughs> like we were we were kind of outsiders in san diego yeah and uh we were kind of like fine with that and i think we took that attitude and ran and then we saw harry pussy and we saw that like this negative energy could really you know uh I don't know, accelerate a show like it, so i think we took on like negative energy for like three four years and it became like negative energy just turns into, you know, negative energy. So <laughs> we we had a really bad attitude. Like we'd play with our back to the audience, you know. And when we wouldn't say anything, wouldn't talk to any of the bands. When I saw the fall, the come. singer was like that. It was his ass, his culo, the whole gig. Yeah. <laughs> it's a weird thing. At the kick drum. <laughs> yeah. Well, so what for you said for three years though. What happened after three years? Um it got so negative, like, uh, our, I think our energy got so negative, and the one guy was kind of, Cameron was kind of pushing it. We had played South by Southwest, and he did something I didn't like, and I started thinking, man, these guys, these people are helping us out, and, you know, you're clowning them or whatever. Like, it's just like, this is not going to help us, you know, like, in any way. Like, when I saw, you know, when people try to do something good for you, the last thing you should do is, like, spit oh, in their eye, you know. Absolutely. And maybe it takes yeah. a little touring to appreciate that because you need help of others and stuff. Yeah. So this isn't a musical thing. This is kind of bad uh, people uh, behavior thing. Yeah, but, you know, like... We, no, we're no, it's important this, in a band yeah. me mechanism. You got to... 
you know what I mean? The music can't thrive if there's bad people thing. No, I, I agree. I, I think we had, we had projected something and then what we had projected had become our reality. And then when I, once I realized the consequence of our reality, I wanted to move away from that. Uh, so we moved away from some people and started a new version with two drummers. And, um, and then things, you know, things got better from there. We did do little tours, you know, and we played with the ruins and, and, you know, and touring started to become more of a possibility. And I started to realize actually, after I went on tour with the Locust, I started realizing how important it is to have peers, have people that like look out for you, you know, that it was dumb to compete with people and, you know, like, no, we were so lucky. The Black Flag, Who's Could Do, Meat Puppet Guys. I mean, well, you know what? The scene was different, right? If we didn't help, it was just going to sink. So maybe it was just a sitch, and you guys were in a different thing where that could happen. So if we did that shit, it would never have got together. <laughs> anyway, we're at the end of the segment. It's interesting to hear about this, Paul, man. You're, 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 yeah. you're bitching up. Open up because a lot of people are embarrassed to talk about this kind of shit. End of the second hour, September 6, 2021, edition of Pedro Show. Special guest, Paul Lai. Hold tight for hour three. September 6, 2021, it's the third hour of the Watt from Pedro.
for Pedro Show. We start off the th- third hour with some Epsilon A-Crux. And you know, all this Ep- Epsilon A-Crux you gave me, it's different versions, right? Uh, they're just from different albums. I just picked, uh, I mean, I think most of them are from two albums. So same personnel? I, I, no, it's it's the only, it's well, a different that's, lineup that's what I asked with you. That's uh, what I asked you. yeah, different lineup with every uh, album actually. Okay, we had Graf from the Netherlands have to have duality, and then Upsilon A Crux remnants of the Hapital Epoch. Yeah, the drummer of of Locust I played with. Oh yeah, he was helping out uh, Butcherettes. Uh, yeah, Gabe. Was, yeah, yeah, yeah. Gabe, Gabe, Gabe. Good cat. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, right now in uh, Taipei, there is no Upsilon Eight Crux. No. But so but, all my, all my... but but, but yeah. I'm, I'm leading up to that. But between this San Diego time, you have some so you have time up here where I'm at, or even north of me, Los Angeles here. Yeah. And so does Upsilon Eight Crux exist? A lot is it on a Los Angeles band for a while? Yeah, it it was uh you know, I think for more than I guess we moved to LA like around uh two thousand one or two thousand two and then eventually uh Jesse moved up there and then and then Upsilon across was in LA and then whenever I got new versions of Upsilon it was all in LA. I mean I moved to Taipei now four years ago. Okay. So okay. we did the European tour, and then I moved here. Can, uh, can I ask you about but, the uh, the way you put material together? When you started changing members, did that become yeah. more and more you? Or did you still, like, sit around listening to records? Hey, you guys want to... What do you think of no. this? No. Okay. <laughs> I mean, uh, it, 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 every time things switch, you know, the power dynamics switch, yeah. I think initially it started kind of even, you know, where I brought, like, some ideas, but I didn't bring all the ideas, you know. But as people came in, they kind of looked to me to be like, Rudder man. To kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I started, it was good because eventually you become what people project you to be, you know. And it worked out for me because I realized I needed to be better all the time and it kept me sharp. Okay. So I kept having these young guys come in and they really, you know, some of these guys have been seeing me play for five years or whatever, you know. Because I'm like the only, I'm, I'm not the only, but I was the, the main Asian guy in LA doing weird stuff like rock, weird rock stuff. That was really loud, you know? So like the last version of the band, like uh, Dylan and Noah and Patrick, those guys have been seeing me since they were in high school, you know? So when they came in, they really expected a lot and I wanted, I hate disappointing people. So I really wanted to be all that they needed me to be. So all those things always helped me grow because, uh, I, I, one of the things I truly hate is uh, I hate to disappoint people. People sure, expect sure. something of me, then I'm I'm here to deliver or, or absolutely do my best and to be that. Especially cats who are going to try and aid in a bet on stage or in the studio. Yeah. Right? I mean, just because right. you're the boss, you can holler at people and get your way like a buddy, you know, stomp your foot and make your hands like a sugar bowl or a teapot, you know, throw your little piece yeah. of chalk. But is that going to really get the best performances out of cats? There's a skill, no. right? There's a yeah, skill yeah. No, I, I've learned it. I, I've learned, you know, I, I figured it out because, you know, every time a band broke up, it was like some bad feelings, you know. And I think part of it was because sometimes I would yell or push people or whatever, you know. And I learned throughout the years that this is not the way, you know, like, 
you, you know, you encourage people. If you want them to be, the, if, if you're looking out for their best interest, yeah, it's actually going to help you eventually because they know that you care about them, you know. And, sure. I, and I care about these people. Sometimes I just didn't show it right. But by the last version of the band, which I may come back to, um, I th- we're all brothers, you know. They play with my kids. They babysit my kid, my kids, you my what, my kid, you know, my one Peter, son. I got a buddy, Peter DeStefano, and he's, you know, he's been reading up on John Coltrane, and John Coltrane said, "If you're sincere, you can play a shoestring." Well, I mean, whatever John says is the truth, you know, because I, I find that John is, you know, Coltrane to me is, you know, he's the greatest and the best musician of all time, and and I I truly believe he's a kind person and. No, but these you know, cats, he, these cats that are like playing with your kids and stuff, it's where their hearts at. That's what that's the, the sincerity I think Mr. Coltrane was talking about. Okay. That's I mean, the, he, and again he's he's right and and you're right, you know, cuz uh I don't know, when you believe in something and you play it wholeheartedly, you're not being forced to play it. Yeah. You know, it, there there's a there's a thing that people can perceive and yeah. feel. And um Yeah, you said musicians yeah, are I, I, some kind of truth. You said a musician yeah. can tell when it's phony. I want to play Pitch yeah, Mountain exactly. Maps.
Waffle Pedro Show, last music for this edition. Upslunk Eight Crux with Pitch Mountain Maps, favorite title. Then Thomas Helton, Jamie Branch, she was on the show a couple weeks ago. And the late, great Michael Evans, drummer man Michael Evans, he was on the show a few months ago and we lost him. Very sad. Man, what a beautiful spirit. Uh, late to the Party, live at DMG, June 4, 2017. So it was a few years ago, but love you much, Michael Evans, truly. And then Zerpitz. Yeah. Liminal triad. Now, Zerpitz, this is something that happens after you move, you make the move to Taipei, right? Right. Um, yeah, I, was, uh, I wasn't going to, I didn't want to practice. I was going to concentrate on being a dad. And um, so I wasn't going to play music at all. And then I got talked into playing a show. And then I was doing solo guitar shows. And then a friend of mine, Joseph Morrow, moved here from Rhode Island. And he started playing drums with me. And like, and so I started doing improv shows with him. And I thought, and I was learning how to do improv with him because he's such an awesome drummer. And then we started to see people around that I thought could, I, I could put together like a, a big improv band for, uh, for a record. And so actually this band, the, 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 the song comes from the album that it comes from the, um, it's like we actually only played together twice. It was like uh, I had these ideas for timed improvisations, you know, so we were on the clock where something would come in at like 30 seconds or something would bounce out at like 45 seconds, whatever. I thought to, to make it more interesting while sure. keeping an improv, you know, I thought it would be cool to do something that was like, I wouldn't tell you what to play. I'll only tell you when to play. Yeah, I was part of a gig that was like that where the, the, the Meister had a, a control board of uh, switches for light bulbs and everyone had a light bulb in front of them. When that light bulb came on, <laughs> it was your time to go. So he was I, I feeling out for the that. Piece. I would yeah, kill Chris, for that. Chris, Chris Schlarb, it was by UCLA, a little theater. Huh. Man, that was... Yeah. Because you didn't know when your light was going to come on, right? So you kind of shit in a peak analog. It was, it, was, it was interesting, though. I like this idea. Can I ask you, what's the connect with Steve at Cuneiform? How, how'd that happen? Um... Well, actually, I always was aware of Cuneiform because they have the you know the best prog stuff. And then, uh, but he thought we were like a kids band, I think, for a long time. And then, one time we played at Grandma's house in Oakland, like two o'clock in the morning, and um, but it was shot on video. This is the early days of YouTube, and they somebody put it up. It was like uh, eighteen minutes long or something. And then the next day, I got a message from Steve. Was like, I saw your video. I love it. Uh, how, how can I help? And I was like, well, I mean, you got we'd love to get a record. You got gigs, you know, your first gig, your first video. That's how you get your records. <laughs> it, it was, it's weird, you know, it's definitely no, weird. Happened. And Steve, I, I would consider really like, happened, not, yeah, not, not just like a label guy. He, you know, Steve's like a friend, a mentor. You know, I think of him and I think of, I think how, who would know more about like odd technical music? You know, Steve has probably gotten... 300 demos a year for 40, 50 years, you know, of the weirdest, <laughs> craziest bands, you know. So, like, I mean, I think he's aware of basically everybody that can play that put together something organized. Like, they sent it to him at some point, you know what I mean? That's great. He's great. He's but, got an open mind. Yeah, but he, and, and no front, okay? If he tells you he's going to do it, it's not just fucking blowing smoke, right, of the yang. Yeah. It's fucking he delivered. Yeah, exactly. Look, where can people find you on the internet? Um... Well, I mean, uh, Upsilon and Crux, uh, I think Cuneiform has all the digital stuff except for the okay. new record. Um, you should spell, uh, spell spell the name of that for people. C-U-I? 
Uh, oh I... man, he's gonna get mad at me. It's cuneiform. Q- I think it's C U N E I F O R M. Cuneiform. Yeah, if we were in old time Samaria, that's the writing. It's these little lines that are going up and down and sideways and shit. Cuneiform. Yeah. It's before hieroglyphics. This is the old, old timey. Yeah. So look that up, and it's the same word. And, uh, and but if you want to hear the new stuff, that you'd have to find it on Future Proof in Taiwan. Okay. It's uh, run by this guy named Lars. And what's um, uh, what's the URL? Uh. I don't know. It's just future proof, like as one word. I, if you just put like future proof Taipei, Taiwan. Okay, or Taipei. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. yeah. And then my friend Joseph has this. He does these noise records, which uh, I'm, I guess I'm having a couple come out soon. It's called New New Records as well. well. So I'm, Paul, I'm sorry to doing all this promo. You got to get a Paul Lai website. And thanks. And, and whenever you get anything and you feel like people want to know about it, come on to what people show. Let him act like a flyer for you. People, it's been the okay. September 6, 2021 edition of Wap from Pedro Show. Keep your powder right.